Blessings New Birth, we are here today about to start week four of our sermon series entitled Summer at New Birth Summit. We're right in the middle of a seven-week sermon series. And for those of you that are joining us for the first time, let me encourage you uh, uh, to, to stay connected to everything that God has been telling us this entire uh, month, if you will, regarding the importance of going higher. First Sunday, we climbed Mount Sinai, and uh, Mount Sinai had three major components that represents where God wants us to go and how he wants us to impact. And so week one, when we talked about Sinai, that's the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to instruct God's people how to live. And so those Ten Commandments dealt with man's relationship with God, man's relationship with himself, and man's relationship with others. And so that's what we, we were challenged week one, going up Mount Sinai so that the word, the law, the command of God can instruct us. Second week, we went to Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo is the place where, uh, where Moses was able to see some things. It is a place of transition. And it was at Mount Nebo that Moses saw that vision of the land God has promised his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it is the place of vision. Not only Mount Nebo is the place of vision, Mount Nebo is the place of death. It was the place where Moses had to literally die so that Joshua could take his place. And I said, two, uh, I said three weeks ago that there's a Joshua in every single one of us waiting to come to the surface, but the Moses in us has got to move away. And so that's what we talked about. It is a place of vision. It is a place of death. And Mount Nebo is the place of transition, of transition. Last Sunday, we talked about Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, which is the mountain of obedience, the place of obedience. And we mentioned several things. We mentioned, number one, that your obedience will be tested. Your obedience will be tested. In Mount Moriah, our obedience towards God will always go through the test. Second thing we talked about was your obedience will require faith. Your obedience will require faith. The third thing we mentioned was your obedience will require action. You and I must put to work that which we are obeying. And lastly, your obedience will bring about provision. So that's what we talked about these past several weeks. Today we're going to climb up Mount Hermon. And for that I want you to come with me to Matthew chapter 17. When we're going to read verses 1 through 8 and throughout the course of the sermon, I'm going to make reference to these verses. The Bible says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it says... After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if you wish I will put up three shelters one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah while he was still speaking a bright light a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son whom I love listen to him when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. 
But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. And they looked up and saw no one except Jesus. So Mount Hermon is the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, before we go into the story, let me give you a, 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 a little bit of backdrop of this narrative. Because this narrative took place in a very important moment in the life of Jesus and in the life of the disciples. This narrative took place in a transitional period in the life of Christ and the life of his disciples. Jesus, at this point, Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is in the beginning part of the end of Jesus' ministry. He is in the beginning stages of his last phase of his earthly ministry. And so he's about to take three of his disciples to Mount Hermon, which is the Mount of Transfiguration. He's about to take three of his disciples, and but right before he goes to Mount Hermon, right before he goes up, when you read Matthew 17, that deals with Jesus taking Peter, James, and John to Mount Hermon. But you have to read Matthew 16 to see what happened well, six days before Chapter 17, this is what happened in, in, in Matthew chapter 16. So right before Jesus goes to Mount Hermon, he took his disciples to a specific place called Caesarea of Philippi. Caesarea of Philippi. And I want to read the scripture so that you can understand what's happening. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 through 19, the Bible says, Jesus, here's the backdrop. Jesus takes them and says, who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And they started saying, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elias. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but who are you? And Peter said, Peter replied, you are the son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. And now, based on that, Jesus is going to reply to Peter. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail and overcome it. And I will give you the keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, so that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth, you will loose in heaven. I want you to get this. They're at Caesarea Philippi. And in the midst of all of these gods, Jesus asks a question. Who am I? Who do they say that I am? And Peter gets this revelation. And based on Peter's revelation, look at what happens. God changes Simon's identity. Listen to me. And I want to start off by saying this. Everyone who has a revelation of who Jesus Christ is becomes rock solid. Everyone who has a revelation of who Jesus Christ no longer becomes unstable or unstable, but rather you become rock solid. Simon in the Bible was an unstable person. Simon in the Bible was inconsistent in his ways. But Jesus says, based on your revelation, John, I'm oh, sorry, based on your revelation, Peter, here's what, here's what Jesus does. Jesus changes his name from Simon who was unstable to Peter. Now, now, what does Peter mean in the Greek? Peter comes from the word Petros. 
Petros, which literally means, literally means, the word Petros in the Greek literally means a little piece of rock. A little piece of rock. Look what Jesus does. When Peter identifies Jesus, Jesus says, you're no longer going to be unstable. You're no longer going to be going from left to right. You're going to be so, you're going to be as solid as a little stone is, strong, unbreakable. You're going to, because everyone who has a revelation of Jesus Christ becomes rock solid. And then Jesus says, not only am I going to change your name from Simon to Peter, but then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? Not Peter. The rock of the knowledge of the revelation of who Christ is. So now, Petros means a little rock. But when Jesus says, and upon this rock, that rock is not the same definition of Petros. Petros is Peter, which is a little rock. But when Jesus says, upon this rock, the Greek word is Petra. Not with an O, but with an A. And Petra means a mass boulder, a mountain, a mountain. So he's telling Peter, because you know you have a revelation of who I am, I'm going to change you from unstable to, a, to rock solid. But those of you who understand who I am rock solid, then you will become upon that knowledge. I, I will build. This is the rock that I will build my church. So now understand for Peter. Petra means a mountain. Now understand, if I were if I were standing in Caesarea of Philippi, which I've been five times to Israel, from Caesarea of Philippi, from that geographical location where it is believed that Jesus asks his questions to the disciples, you can literally see Mount Hermon. You can literally see, imagine. Six days later, the Bible says, chapter 17, verse 1, six days later, Jesus went, took Peter, James, and John, and he went up to Mount Hermon. So that means that you, can li- you could have literally seen Mount Hermon from Caesarea of Philippi. And shortly after this revelation, it, listen, it might have been possible that when Jesus is referring to upon this rock, he's probably giving them an example of the rock Hermon. The mountain Hermon. It is possible that in this moment when Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I'm changing your name from Simon to Peter. You're a little rock. But upon that rock, he might have pointed to a mountain. He might have pointed to something. Or perhaps Peter, when he's, he's hearing the concept of a mountain, the Petra, he might have been looking at Mount Hermon. And I'm not making a theology out of that. What I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus and Peter were literally in this moment in their lives. Peter was standing right in front of Mount Hermon. Shortly after this experience, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a climb. Listen to me, church. It is important for you and I to understand that the only way for you and I to go and climb and ascend and become the person God has want you to be and want me to be, it is paramount that everything we do in God stems out of a revelation who God is in our lives. Jesus did not invite Peter to the climb had he not known who Jesus was. He says, well, I'm going to take you Mount Hermon. Something is going to happen in Mount Hermon. But you cannot go up Mount Hermon and see me transfigured if you don't know who I am. So it was important for Peter and the disciples to hear that Jesus was the Christ. 
Because what Jesus is going to reveal to these disciples six days later is going to solidify, is going to confirm that he is the Christ. So what is Mount Hermon? Mount Hermon is the Mount of Transfiguration that reveals, that's my first point. Mount Hermon or the Mount of Transfiguration is the mountain that reveals the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. Mount Hermon does never, never, Mount Hermon will never expose the glory of a man. Mount Hermon will never expose the glory of a person. Mount Hermon is designed to exhibit the glory of Christ. Verse 2, Matthew chapter 17, look what it says. There he was transfigured before him. Who's he? Jesus. And look what the Bible says. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Transfiguration. The word transfiguration, isn't me, church? Is composed of two words. Trans, which where we get the word transit, which means motion, which means movement, which means point A going to point B. Trans, transit. Figuration, figure. So when I talk about transfiguration, what the Bible is saying, that as I transit upward towards the mount of God, my figure, my nature, my character, my disposition, my attitude, my demeanor, my life has got to change as I go up the climb, church. Climbing Mount Hermon should always produce change in our lives. Climbing up Mount Hermon should produce a metamorphosis in our lives. So I ask you today, are you in transit for God to change your figure? As it pertains to the way you live, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you go about yourself. Are you, are you climbing up Mount Hermon for God to change your figure, your image, your character, your nature, your disposition? Because you cannot go up the climb and stay the same. You cannot go up the climb. Listen, when Moses went up the mountain, the Bible says that when he came back from the mountain, he literally had to cover himself because he had so much glory coming out of him that he had to put a veil on himself. You cannot climb the mount of God and be the same church. Are you in transit for God to change your figure? Mount Hermon revealed Christ's glory. The Bible says that Jesus' face shone like the sun. There was a metamorphosis experience that took place. Jesus, Jesus literally was bathed in the glory of God. These three disciples had never seen Jesus. Oh, I feel like preaching. They've never seen Jesus like this before. I am praying that as you get closer to God and as you pursue the face of God, that your perspective of Christ may take you to another realm that you've never seen Jesus before so that your life may change as a result of the God you're in pursuit of. He was bathed in the glory of God. He was Full of the glory of God. It is as though the veil that his pre-existing glory as the son of God was lifted. And for that short period of time, the disciples got to see the unveiled manifestation of the glory of Jesus. The Bible says that his clothes, not only his, his face shone like the sun. The Bible says that his clothes became exceedingly white. And it's interesting that that word white in the Greek is the word leukos, L-E-U-K-O-S. 
And the word leukos is the root word for the word leukemia. Describing the production of abnormal white blood cells. That's what I'm saying. What, 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 what Matthew is writing about this transformation is he's making reference that the Jesus' countenance, that his garments, that his face was completely and utterly transformed. As if to say something abnormal in the mundane world was taking place before Peter, James, and John when Jesus transfigures himself before these men, church. And that's where God wants to take us. He wants to take us higher so that he can show a side of him. Many of us don't know. You know that many Christians only know Jesus as a savior. Many Christians only know Jesus as a healer. Oh, I'm coming to church because I, I want God to heal me. I'm coming to church because I, I want God to make a way for me. I'm coming to church because I need money. I want God to give me money. No, 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 no. There are so many levels in Christ that he wants to expose you. And so he's telling you, come up here because I'm going to show you my face. I'm going to show you transformation. And I'm going to invite you to live a world of living in the glory of the presence of almighty Jesus Christ. The transformation. Mount Moriah is the place. Where you see the glory of Christ. Transformation. Listen to me. Listen to me. Transformation will always birth manifestation. Transformation comes with manifestation. Verse 3, chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew says, Then, just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. When Jesus transfigured himself, when Jesus was transformed, when the disciples saw that Jesus' body shone like the sun and his, counter, his clothing was, garment was as white as could be, leukemia, leukos, something happened. When that transformation took about, a manifestation happened. And what was the manifestation? Moses appeared. What was the manifestation? Elijah appeared. There was meaning behind the appearance of these two individuals. It is not coincidental that of all of the people in the Bible, you had David, you had Samson, you had Isaiah, you had Jeremiah, you had Abraham, you had, of all of the people in the Old Testament, the two that show up in the Mount of Transformation was Moses and Elijah. These two individuals, why did God manifest Elijah's presence and, 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 and Moses' presence in the transformation, in the transfiguration? Why? Because of what these two individuals represent. Moses represented the law. We, we, we talked about them on Sinai. Moses represented the law of the Old Testament. What was the law of the Old Testament? God's word. And Elijah was a representative of the prophetic office or the position of a prophet in the Old Testament. Which, by the way... Those two offices, the prophetic and the word, the law of God and the prophetic office were the two most important roles in the Old Testament. Listen to me, church. And who shows up? The man that represents the word, the law. Who shows up? The prophetic voice of God. Who showed up? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And this is, this is what God is telling us. This Moses who brought the word. This Elijah, a powerful man in word and in deed as Jesus was. These two offices or these two positions show up when Jesus was sent for you. You know why? Because the law of the prophets formed a major part of the Old Testament. The law of the prophets formed a major part 
the Old Testament. They all pointed to Jesus. All of the prophetic utterances made reference to Christ. These officers spoke of the coming of the Messiah. Now, Jesus, my friend, is the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophet. And now, as Jesus is transfigured in glory, Moses shows up as if to say, the law I brought about is all about Jesus. The commandments I gave the world and I gave the, the people of Israel is all about Jesus. And the prophetic utterances of Elijah was a shadow of Jesus Christ. The power of Elijah, the power of Christ. The prophetic word of Elijah, the prophetic word of Christ. And so when Jesus is transfigured, God is bringing Moses and Elijah to confirm that the law and the prophets, all of that together in the Old Testament, all was designed for Christ. That's when you read Luke chapter 16, verse 16 and 17. Look at what it says. It says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Who's John? John, John the Baptist. From the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, you have 400 years of silence that God hadn't spoken no more. And so what were the people of Israel doing those 400 years of silence? They were making reference to the law. They were making reference to the Old Testament. They were making reference to the book, to the, to the prophetics. They were making reference to the prophecies. They were making reference to prophetic utterances. They were making reference to the Bible. They were making the Bible as it pertains to the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. But the Bible is telling us, Luke tells us now, that the law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom, the good, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forced, is forcing their way into it. Then he says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for a, the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. What is Luke telling us? He's telling us that the law and the prophets was the utterance God had throughout the times of silence. When Jesus shows up, Jesus is the manifestation of the prophetic. That's why Jesus will say something like, well, you have heard that it has been said. When he says that, he's referring to the Old Testament. But then he says, but I tell you. As if to say, now listen to what I have to say. So Mark Herman is the place of revealing God's glory. In Mount, in Mount Herman, transformation will bring about manifestation. My next point is, Mount Herman, listen to me. Mount Hermon is not a dwelling place. Mount Hermon is not a dwelling place. Mount Hermon is not a dwelling place. The Bible says in verse 4, when Peter sees all this happening, when Peter goes up the mountain and he sees Jesus being transfigured and he sees that his face shone like the sun and his garment was as white as snow and he sees all this and Moses shows up and, and, and Elijah shows up. Look what, Mo, look what Peter decides to do. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to stay here, to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for I'm here to remind you, church, and I'm here to tell you, church, that Mount Hermon is the place of revelation. Mount Hermon is not a destination. Mount Hermon is the place of revelation. Mount Hermon is not a place of destination. 
You cannot do what Peter tried to do. Peter tried to pitch his tents. Peter tried to build a shop. Peter tried to build a souvenir store so everybody could go Mount, Mount, Mount Hermon and see all this and take pictures. and make, No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not that. But Peter got confused. Peter got so caught up seeing Moses, seeing Elijah, seeing his face shine like the sun. He got so caught up in the revelation that he said, let's just make this our destination. Be careful, church, not to worship this place more than the Christ. Be careful not to give Moses and Elijah the glory that only is due to Christ. When Peter saw this, he said, yo, let's, let's make a tent for you and one for, one for Moses and one for Elijah. You cannot put Jesus in the classification of Moses, and you cannot put Jesus in the classification of Elijah. You cannot make that mistake of comparing them the same. No, no, no. We must be careful that we don't become idolaters of the things God gave us. I don't know what is your Moses. I don't know what is your Elijah. But you don't put nothing, no one, anything in the classification of who Christ is. Listen to me, church. The only reason Moses and Elijah showed up was because Christ was there. The only reason Moses and Elijah was manifested, church, was because Jesus was there. And Peter got so caught up in seeing Elijah and seeing Moses that he forgot this is about Jesus, not about Moses. You got, we must be careful, church, to not worship the things God gives us over the God that gives things. We must be careful to not substitute our worship to the God Almighty, Jesus our Savior, to the things Jesus gives us. Peter begins to talk. Listen to me, church. He begins to give lodging suggestions. He begins to make construction recommendations. Let's build. He begins to tell Jesus. Let's build something for our guests. Let's build something for Moses. Let's build something for Elijah. Let's build, let's build. But Mount Hermon is not the place of destination, church. And in Peter's case, in Peter's case, Mount Hermon was not the place of communication. Mount Vernon was not the place for Peter to talk. This is not an experience of Peter. This is not something about Peter. God exposed Peter to show him something, not for Peter to talk. It wasn't the place of communication. It's the place of revelation and transfiguration. Listen, 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 listen. You don't have to say what God is doing in your life. You just have to transfigure yourself and let people see through your action what God is doing in your life. You don't have to, this, and this was the problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees would do things in public to be seen by men. But listen, Jesus, Jesus is telling us today, you don't have to do that. The Bible is telling us today, don't focus on that. Because Mount Hermon is not the place for you to communicate and tell everybody. And no, 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 Mount Hermon is simply the place for you to have a revelation of transformation. And while Peter is talking, you know what God does? God interrupts Peter. As if to say, Peter, shut up, bro. He interrupts him. Listen to me. And now, from having this euphoric experience, from having this metamorphic encounter, God now has to bring a command in Mount Hermon. God has to bring a command in the transfiguration. Verse 5 tells us. While he was speaking, who was speaking? Peter. Oh, Peter had a lot to say in the glory. 
I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. He had a lot to say in the mountain, but where was he when they were saying, are you, are you one of Jesus' disciples? You look like him. And he started saying, no, I'm not. And, but, but, but in the mountain, oh, everybody got something to say. When everything is well, everybody got something to say. When everything is going your way, everybody got something to say. And so Jesus, God had to shut Peter up. It says, while he was speaking, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. Listen to me. And the voice from the cloud said, this is my son. Not Peter, Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now who's doing all the talking? It wasn't Jesus. It was Peter. And while Peter's going along and talking, 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 let's build. Talking, 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 let's do. Talking, talking, talking. The Bible says that God began to speak. At the transfiguration, there was a threefold witnesses. The law and the prophets and the voice of God himself. At the Mount of Transfiguration, you had three manifestations. You had Moses, who is the law. Elijah, who is the prophet. And Jehovah God who spoke from the cloud. Listen to me. And the voice of God himself bore witness to the truth about Jesus. The new factor was the command from God, which was, listen, listen to me. You have to understand. In the Old Testament, everybody listened to Moses. In the Old Testament, everybody listened to the prophets. Whenever a prophet will come into a, a country or come into a nation, kingdoms would bow, the kings would bow down and, 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 and reverence the prophet. Whenever a priest, it was the prophets that anointed kings. It were prophets that would bring kings into account. Whenever a prophet showed up into a nation, everybody was afraid. Whenever Moses came down from the mountain with the word of God, everybody was in reverence. But now God is saying to Peter in the middle of Elijah and in the middle of Moses, he's saying, Listen, this is my son. And for the past thousands of years, y'all all been hearing Moses' word and Elijah's prophetic utterance. But as of today, I don't want you to listen to Moses. I don't want you to listen to Elijah. This is my son and whom I am well pleased. Listen to my son, Jesus. Verses that while he was still speaking, church, which implies that Jesus literally interrupted Peter. How many times God is trying to interrupt us to get our attention and we're so focused on our agenda. How many times God is trying to distract us and bring us back to the place that he wants us to come. Well, we're so caught up in ourselves. So what does God do? He interrupts him. And look what he does. Look what he does. The Bible says that he began to speak from the cloud. A bright cloud, the Bible says. I got to read it again. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them who did the cloud cover it covered everybody in the mountain remember peter's in awe seeing moses seeing elijah oh my god but you know what god does he starts to speak and brings a a, a, a big white cloud and you know what happened when the cloud came nobody saw Pete, uh, moses no more and nobody saw elijah no more the cloud didn't allow those present to see these two images anymore the bride, the bright cloud did not allow those to present to see Elijah and to see Moses again. So, so what is God saying when this cloud shows up? He's saying it's not about Moses and it's not about Elijah. It's about Christ. 
So a bright, a bright cloud came up. The second thing that happened, a voice came from the cloud. God's voice. God's voice at that moment swallowed Peter's voice. That God's voice was so strong and so powerful and so pervasive and so authoritative that when God started to speak, Peter had to shut his mouth up. To be transfigured means to no longer be seen nor heard as the person you were before you went up the climb. To be transfigured is that now no longer, this is not about people seeing you. This is not about people hearing you. It is not about you. It is about Christ in you and Christ in me. My next point is Mount Hermon or the Mount of Transfiguration will always start and end with Christ. Jesus in Matthew 16 was in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus in Matthew 7, 17, six days later, he takes them. It started with Christ. He took them to the mountain. And look how it ended up, verse 8 of Matthew 17. It says, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Because Mount Hermon or Mount of Transfiguration starts with Christ and it ends with Christ. So I ask you, who do you see when you look up? The Bible says, when they looked up, what does that mean? First of all, they were in the mountain. So they don't get no higher than the mountain. So if the Bible says when they looked up, that means they were looking down. If they looked up, that means that they must have been prostrated before the floor. If they looked up, because they don't get no higher. You're at the mountain of Mount Hermon. They don't get no higher than that. But even at their highest, listen to what I'm telling you. Even at their highest, they were humble enough to lower themselves. This is the part of many of us. Many of us, we see God take us high and high and high and we get so pompous and we like become like a like a peacock. We think we're so big for ourselves and we don't, we don't have, there's no space in our height to be humble. But look what the Bible says. While they were at their highest, they looked down to the point that they looked up and here's what they saw. No one except Jesus. Your title, your position, your grace, your gifts, your resources, whatever you have that has you up here at the end of the day, all of the great things that you are and you do and you have is always under the image and the power and the grace of who Christ is. In your greatness, there needs to be room for humility. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. I ask you, who are you looking up to? Who are you looking up to? When you look up, who do you see? The disciples, when they looked up, they didn't see Moses no more. They did not see Elijah no more. This disciple, the disciples, when they looked up, they saw Jesus. When you look up, who do you see? That's why the psalmist says, I will lift up my, hill, my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is calling us today, church, to look up to Christ. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Why do I have to look up to Christ? Because the Bible says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Why do I have to look up to Christ? Because he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. So I am going to keep my eyes on Christ. Fix my eyes on Jesus. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. It says, wherefore seeing, we're also compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses. 
an arena. That's, I want you to see an arena. It's a cloud of witnesses looking and looking and looking at us. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with a great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which do so heavily beset us. And let us run, listen to me, let us run with patience, patience the race that is set before us. Here's how we do it. The writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus. As I, Now, I, listen, listen. When you run, when you're running, you know what you're looking at? I'm looking at the finish line. I'm looking at, when I'm, whenever I'm in a race, okay, we're going to run from here to there. Whether it's a car race, whether it's a running race, whether it's a marathon, whenever I'm racing, I am focused on the finish line. So what is the writer telling us? In this race, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author. Look what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me ask you a question. Based on the scripture we just read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Are you looking to Jesus? Or are you looking to the cloud of witnesses? Are you looking to Jesus? Or are you looking for the people to applaud you? Go ahead, keep on running, boy. Are you looking to Jesus? Or are you too busy trying to get the, the, the affirmation of the cloud and the applause of the people? Paul, the writer, is telling us, look to Jesus. And this was the command in Matthew chapter 17, verse 8. It, the command was to look. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us, look to Jesus. Not to man. Not to a system. Man will fail you. Systems will fail you. Structures will fail you. Denominations will fail you. People will fail you. But not Jesus. So the task today is, look to Jesus. Look at Christ, you change. When you pursue climbing, walking, running towards Christ, you change. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, as I close, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Here's how, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So me, we, you and I, we must respond in a way that people around us can see transfiguration and transformation. The world around us needs to know that there's a change in your life. If you've climbed up Mount Hermon, you have to come down with witness, evidence, proof that something has happened in your life. We must be transfigured, not only before God, but we must be transfigured before man. Jesus was transfigured before the Father in heaven who came down. But he was also transfigured before Peter, James, and John. The world has to see change in us. We must be changing before men. I ask you, what part of your life needs the most transfiguration? What part of your life needs the most change? We must demonstrate a willingness to change. What steps do you plan to take in order to make the appropriate spiritual changes in your life? 
What steps are you planning to take so that in your job, your co-workers can see there's something different about him. There's something different about her. Your family members can see, wait a minute, he is no longer the same. She is no longer the same. Something happened. You're even fellow Christians. Our lives has to change every transfiguration, transit figure. My figure has to change. My figure is in transit. My character is in transit. My life is transforming every day to become to the Christ I am running after based on Hebrews chapter 12. So Jesus invites us up to the, to the climb. He invites us up to the climb. He invites us up to Mount Hermon, to Mount of the Transfiguration. Jesus invited Peter, James, and John. He invited Simon, who became Petros. He invited James and John, who were sons of thunder. They were not the greatest people. And what happened? Jesus brought, invita in Jesus brought invites. But God had invites as well. God brought Moses, and God brought Elijah. So, you have God in transfiguration. You have Jesus in transfiguration. You have Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John. Seven people, seven personalities, seven characteristics, seven characters are in the mountain. OMG, I can tell you what they all represent, and I'll be another hour. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, verse 8 says, after the cloud showed up and God spoke, only one stood standing was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was the only one glorified at the end of the day, church. Who gets the glory out of your life and my life is Christ. Christ. God will always position Jesus to glorify him through your life. So today, he wants to give you an opportunity to be transfigured. To change into the image of Christ. To change into the image of Christ. Friend, if you are here today and you've heard this sermon and you say, Lord, I want to give God an opportunity so that I can be changed as well. Listen, the only one that can change a person is Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. So today, Jesus wants you to experience a saving grace. Today, Jesus wants you to embrace salvation. How do you do that? How do I do that, Pastor? Simple. Inviting him in your heart. Repeat this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask you to forgive me all of my sins. I recognize that I, I come short to you because of who I am. But today, I am willing to make and take the climb so that you can transfigure, change my life into the image of Jesus. I receive you as my God, I, I receive you as my Lord, and I receive you as my Savior. In Jesus' name.